want to remind ourselves, Lord, in Your presence this morning, God, that this book is breathed out by You, Lord. Every word, all Scripture. And we want to thank You for Your Word this morning, Lord. That You're a gracious Father to us. And that You've revealed Yourself to us, Lord. You haven't concealed Yourself. You've revealed Yourself to us through Your Word. God, thank You for Holy Scripture. Thank You for this time this morning that we get to gather around Your Word. You have richly provided for Your church, Lord. You've given us Your Spirit and You've given us Your Scripture, Lord. And God, we pray that You would bless the teaching of Your Word today. God, we thank You for Your faithfulness, for the name that You have made for Yourself, Lord. That for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, You have built up local churches just like this one, Lord, through the preaching of Your Word. And we ask You today, Lord, do it again, God, that You would be pleased from heaven by Your Holy Spirit to encourage our souls, God, We ask for refreshing this morning in the presence of the Lord as Your Word is open. God, we ask as disciples of Jesus today that You would train our minds with Your Word. Lord, this is our prayer this morning. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're continuing in our study this morning in the letter of 1 Timothy. And many times we have referred to this letter as the church order letter. And what we've been learning in the past uh, couple of weeks is about these two offices in the New Testament church. And, and this is something just really helpful for you to know of as we look and we see um, the ways that different men and women serve the Lord in the New Testament. There's only two perpetual offices that continue in the church of Jesus Christ. The office of pastor and the office of deacon. Clearest place to see that. Brett showed us this last week. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. The saints, the overseers, and the deacons. That ought to cover everybody in the the local church. Two perpetual New Testament offices. Last week we dug into the office of pastor. This week we're going to dig into that second office the office of deacon, the office of deacon. Now, it's been about four years since we have touched this subject as a local church, and there are many of you who are here who have joined this church or have been visiting this church, uh, and you haven't heard us lay out what we believe the Bible teaches about deacons. So I want to encourage everybody to lean in this morning. I want to encourage you not to check out in this sense, that we have a great temptation. Many of us may have grown up around the church, and we may be tempted to think something like this. Deacons. Oh yeah, I know about deacons. We had deacons growing up. In fact, we had about 15 deacons growing up. And I know all about what deacons do. And I want to encourage you this morning to lean in. Brett encouraged us with the same thing last week. Of we want to learn what God's Word says about this office, because there are some really common mistakes that are made when it comes to the office of deacons and what they do. So I want us to lean in and listen to the Word of God this morning. I'll mention just two categories of mistakes as we approach deacons. And I think most most of the errors fit in one of these two 
categories. And the first mistake as we come to the office of deacons, and this is very common in Baptist churches, okay? Very common in Baptist churches. First mistake is to treat the role of deacons like the role of elders in the New Testament. And so Brett laid this out for us last week. The elders are charged to rule and to teach the Word of God in the church. And one of the things that we know has happened in the last hundred years in the American church, especially the Baptist church, is that the role of elders has been set to the side in many different churches. Well, what's happened is that the deacons have have filled that void, that leadership void in the local church. And many church deacons function as de facto elders in the local church. And, And this is a reversal of the roles that we see laid out in the New Testament. So that's the first mistake, is to, is to approach deacons and to think about deacons as leaders in the local church. They're not. It's not an office of leadership. It's an office of service in the local church. So deacons are not leaders. And the second mistake is to the other side of the ditch. The second mistake is to treat the role of deacons as the catch-all servants in the church. The catch-all servants in the church. This view conceives the work of deacons as basically whatever is needed. Whatever is needed in the church, the deacons do it. So I'll give you some examples of this. Sometimes this this view, this broad view of deacons is referred to as task-specific deacons. And so the thought is like this. If the church needs help with X... Appoint a deacon for X. So if a church needs help with their parking, appoint a deacon of parking. If the church needs help with its social media, appoint a deacon of social media. Whatever the church needs help with, assign a deacon to do those roles. This is the catch-all view of deacons. And, and something that we ought not to be surprised about is when we make deacons the catch-all servants... You know, they're the ones in the church that do everything none of the other members want to do. If we think about deacons like that, then it ought not to surprise us that this office is not held up in as high of honor as Scripture holds it out to us. And so what we're going to see this morning is that for over 2,000 years in church history, okay, I'll say that again, for over 2,000 years, In church history, deacons have been viewed as the ministers of mercy in the local church. Ministers of mercy in the local church. Not leaders in the local church. Not catch-all servants in the local church. But those appointed to an office as ministers of mercy. An official office that cares for the poor and needy in the body of Christ. And one of the things that we're hoping happens all across this room is when you see the office of deacon as a minister of mercy, then all of a sudden these qualifications that we're going to unpack together in 1 Timothy 3, all of a sudden they make perfect sense. That qualified men need to serve in in this honorable office in the New Testament church. So you just ask yourself that this morning. Do we really need to lay hands and and appoint people to a New Testament office 
to oversee the parking lot of Grace Community Church? Is that really what we see in Scripture, or do we see something different, something more specific, something that men are set aside specifically to do? And that's what we're going to do. The majority of our time this morning is going to be spent unpacking this role of deacons as ministers of mercy in the local church. And then as we close, we'll briefly walk through these qualifications of deacons in 1 Timothy 3. I have three aims this morning, and i got so much to do that i got to start talking faster than I've been talking already. Three aims this morning in our time together. First is to convince you that a deacon is to serve as a minister of mercy according to the New Testament. Second, to instruct you in regards to qualifications that Scripture requires for this office. And then third, to inform you how we go after the deacon ministry at Grace Community Church and to exhort all of us of how we can get behind this ministry more and more. Those are our three aims, and we're going to dig, dig right in this morning. We're going to start with the Word itself, the Word itself, deacon. And we're going to read our text, 1 Timothy chapter 3, 1 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. 1 Timothy 3, beginning in verse 8. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to, to, to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first, and then let them serve as deacons, if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. And so we're going to start with this word deacon. That, that's a church word. You don't hear that word you know, anywhere else in the world. And we need to understand about these church words what they mean. The word deacon. The word deacon comes from the Greek word diakonos. And that word simply means servant. It's used many, many times in the New Testament in a general sense to refer to servants. That's what a deacon is, is a servant. This word is used to describe both literal servants of men. So like in John chapter 2, when Jesus turns water into wine at the wedding at Cana of Galilee, and He turns to the servants and tells them to pour the water. That's that word, to the, to the diakonos, to the deacons. It can refer in general to the literal servants of men. It's also used many times in the New Testament in a general sense to refer to the spiritual servants of God. Apostles are called servants of the Lord. Pastors are called servants of the Lord. Men and women are called servants of the Lord. And there's a sense in which every single Christian is a deacon, that you are a servant of the Lord, that the Lord has purchased you, that He owns us twice over. He created us, and He redeemed us, and we are His, and we live to serve Him. There's a general sense of this word that means servant. Servant. 
There are three times that this word is used in, an, in the New Testament in a technical sense to refer to an office in the church. And we've already mentioned both of, both of the passages. Philippians chapter 1, uh, verse 1 mentions uh, these deacons side by side with the overseers. And then the other two times in the New Testament are in our passage this morning. And the context shows us that this is clearly an office that some are appointed to in the local church. So we have the general sense of the word, and then we have this technical sense that we're taking up this morning. We want to understand what the office of deacon is for, and what these men do. And so, if we understand that general sense, it actually helps us a little bit understand the technical sense of the word. Okay, Just like pastors, the word pastor is the word for shepherd, it helps us to understand what pastors are to do in the local church to care for the flock, to shepherd the sheep. Just like the word overseers, it tells us a little bit about what overseers do in the church as they oversee, they manage the church, they, they rule the church, they lead the church. And in the same sense, this general word, diakonos, tells us what these men do. They serve. They're servants in the body of Christ. They serve uh, it's an office of service in the local church. And, and that's what we want to push into this morning. Okay? That's what we want to push into a little further this morning. Exactly how, though. Okay? So, so they serve the local church, but, but is that all we know? Is that all we can say about deacons in the New Testament? That they serve in this broad general sense and anything can fit under that category. Whatever's needed. In other words, does the Bible tell us what deacons do, or do we just make it up ourselves? That's what we're faced with. Is there more specifics that Scripture gives us? Is there more light from God's Word that can help unpack what these men are set apart to do in the local church? And I would submit to you that God's Word has not left this open for us to make it up as we go. There's actually tremendous light that's given to us from God's Word in Acts chapter 6, in Acts chapter 6. And so if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn there, Acts chapter 6. While you're turning to Acts 6, I want to mention that from ancient church history, we're talking first, second, third century of church history, Acts chapter 6 has been interpreted for hundreds and hundreds of years as the very beginning of the office of deacon in the New Testament. The office of deacon in the New Testament. The word diakonos is not used in Acts chapter 6, but a really close word, a closely related word, diakonia, is used twice in this passage. Used twice in this passage. So let's read this together, and we're approaching Acts chapter 6 with a heart that we want light from God's Word of what these deacons are set apart to do in the local church. Let's read it together. First four verses. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the Word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, 
full of the, the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. I want to point out just a few principles that we see in Acts chapter 6 that has long been interpreted as the prototype of the office of New Testament deacons. And the first is this. I want you to notice that the church from the very beginning was taking care of the needy. The church from the very beginning was taking care of the needy. Acts chapter 2, we see this. They're selling their possessions. They're giving to those who have need. Acts chapter 4, we see the same thing. They're selling their possessions. They're giving to the needy. We even have this phrase in Acts chapter 4 about the early church, that there was not a needy person among the early church, the church in Jerusalem. So they're caring for the needy in their midst. And specifically, in Acts chapter 6, they're having this citywide distribution daily where they're feeding widows. They're taking care of widows. The most vulnerable in this ancient society, those who could not work, could not take care of themselves, unless these widows were taken care of, they would die in this culture. This is, this is how urgent these needs were in Acts chapter 6. And what are we told? Well, we're told two things. In verse 1, there's a daily distribution. There's a daily distribution of meeting this need. They're caring for the needy. And that word is diakonia. There's a daily deaconing. There's a daily diakonia going on in the church at Jerusalem. They're caring for the needy. And then in Acts chapter 6, we see this twofold problem that happens. As they begin to try to care for the needy, the situation becomes more than they can handle. And two things begin to happen. And they're equally devastating in the local church. And the first is this, that widows, those whom God greatly loves, widows, the vulnerable, the neediest of the needy, they are being neglected. Some of the Greek widows are being neglected in this daily distribution. Unacceptable in the church of Jesus Christ. It's problem number one. Problem number two is that these leaders, because of the burden that is being placed upon them, they're being pulled away from the ministry of the Word of God. And so I want you to see that double burden that begins to land on this local church. Widows, if they don't eat, they die. If the church is not fed the Word of God, the church dies. Both of these are unacceptable problems in the church of Jesus Christ. The church must find a way to do both of these things. Word ministry and deed ministry. It's not either or, it's both and from the very beginning. It would be unacceptable for either one of these things not to be done. Okay? For widows not to be fed, for the needy to not be cared for, and for the word to be neglected by church leadership. And so what's the solution? Well, this passage of Scripture tells us that, that the early church, the church of Jerusalem, set apart seven qualified men to serve in this very specific way. And I want you to note very carefully what these men are called to do in Acts chapter 6. Because if we can understand what they're called to do in Acts chapter 6, then that's the exact piece of light 
that we just asked for, that we want to understand what these deacons do when we set them apart to serve in the New Testament. Well, they do what, what they did in Acts chapter 6. And so what was their role? Well, I'll mention this. Their role was not a catch-all role. Their role was not a catch-all role in the church at Jerusalem. This is not anything that needs to be done. These men do it. It's more specific than that. And it always has been in church history. It always has been in church history. More specific role. What was it? We're told twice in Acts 6. Verse 1, the daily distribution. The daily distribution. These men were set apart to an office that they distributed daily to the needy. And then verse 2 says it in a little bit different way. They served tables. The daily distribution and the serving of tables. And I'm convinced that one of the things that has happened when we come to deacons, when that role gets broadened out too broadly, that we miss the narrow thing of why deacons were appointed in the first place as ministers of mercy. Ministers of mercy. And we do that because we've confused the lines between what Christians and church members do in general and what deacons do specifically. What deacons do specifically. They were set apart to the daily distribution and to the service of tables. To serving tables. So they were meeting urgent needs. And I want you to think about how were they doing that? You know, how were they doing that? Were, were they, this is, you know, uh, of course this is, uh, you know, theoretical. Um, they weren't you know, praying for miracles every single day and asking the Lord Jesus to drop the bread bomb in Jerusalem and the bread was multiplying in a supernatural sense. That's not what they were doing in that daily distribution. Well, how were they feeding these hundreds and maybe even thousands of widows? How were they doing that? These men were the ones that were stewarding those generous gifts of the early church, and they were making sure that those gifts made it to the needy. They were administrating compassion. They were administrating mercy in the local church. In fact, in fact, that word serving tables, in this ancient culture, the table was a place where money was exchanged. It was, an, it was an ancient form of a bank. It was, that, that, that's what a bank was. It was a table in this ancient culture. In fact, in fact, in, in Luke chapter 19, verse 23, that same Greek word is translated as bank. Jesus says you should have put the money in the bank. You should have put the money on the table. And this is the same word. In John chapter 2, you remember the story where Jesus goes into the temple. He goes into the temple and he flips over the tables of the money changers in the temple. The table was a place where money was exchanged, which means not only are these men daily involved with meeting needs in the local church, they're stewarding massive amounts of resources that belong to the church of Jesus Christ. And so I want us to back up and I want you to see that. Do you see how much responsibility is falling upon these men. Do you see how honorable and how important this office is in the New Testament? To steward the money given to the church of Jesus Christ. To steward the money that's given in the name of Jesus to do the will of Jesus Christ. They weren't catch-all servants 
in the church of Jerusalem. They were spirit-filled officers set apart as ministers of mercy in the church. They've always been viewed as such. Deacons are the corporate response of the church to the needy. The corporate response. Now this doesn't mean, you know, this doesn't negate all the places in the New Testament where, where Jesus calls us as individual Christians to generosity, to mercy ministry, it doesn't negate that at all. In, in the same sense that a church sending out missionaries to the other side of the world doesn't negate the evangelism and the disciple making that God has called every Christian to do. And so who are the deacons? Well, just like missionaries are the evangelistic arm of the local church going to the lost and the unreached, deacons are the arm of compassion of the local church that meet the needs of the poor and needy. This is what the office is. This is what they do. Ministers of mercy. Ministers of mercy. Now, let's back up from that. Okay? God has ordained this office in the New Testament church, and I want you to step back, and I want you to be astounded this morning, and overwhelmed and thankful to God and worshipful this morning, of what this connection to this office actually shows us about our God. What this connection actually shows us about our God. You say, what do you mean? What do you mean about, about that? Do you understand that God ordaining this office to be a perpetual New Testament office in the church, this shows you God's heart for the poor. This shows you what your God is like. This shows you the nature of your God. That He loves the poor and needy so much that they're so close to His heart that He makes a perpetual New Testament office in the church of Jesus Christ to ensure that they are cared for. To ensure that they are cared for. And you remember that phrase in the Gospels where Jesus tells us that the poor are going to be with us always. And what does that mean for us as a local church? That means that we're going to stand, if the poor are going to be with us always, that means we're going to stand in this perpetual need as the people of God for this office of deacon to be faithfully administered, faithfully stewarded, listen, to the coming of Jesus Christ. This is a perpetual office, a minister of mercy. It's a deed ministry that undergirds the word ministry of the church. God's heart for the poor and needy. We can see this both Old Testament and New, of the special place in our God's heart for those who are in need. And we could go at this many different directions. We could talk about the gleaning practices in Israel in the Old Testament, where God required that the edges of the field be left unharvested so that those who had need would have something to eat in Israel. We could talk about all the different requirements of the sacrifice that the Lord God in His holy law actually makes accommodation and different types of sacrifices that if certain families don't have enough money to bring this praise offering to Yahweh, the Lord God, then bring a different kind of animal to worship the Lord. The heart of God for the poor and needy. But I'll read just one Old Testament text. Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 7. If any, if among you, if among you, one of your brothers should become poor 
in any of your towns within your land that the Lord God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother. God has always required that His people care for the needy. He's always required it. He's always required it. In the Old Testament, He required it. We see that He's requiring it in the New Testament with this office of deacon. And there's something else I want us to see. It's not only a, you know, this cold requirement, just take care of them. He personally identifies in His Word with the poor and needy. He personally identifies with the poor and needy. Listen to Proverbs 19, verse 17. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord. You would expect that verse to say, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the poor. But that verse says, what you do to the poor is counted, listen, as doing it to God Himself. That's how closely He identifies with those who are in need. Jesus actually puts His finger on this same exact principle in the New Testament. Matthew 25, verse 40, listen to it. And the King will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Jesus says that in the context of taking care of the poor, feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, visiting the prisoners, the poor and the needy. The Word of God says you do it to them, you do it to me. Do it to them, you do it to me. This is God's heart for the poor and needy. And you know we have this beautiful embodiment of the compassion of God, the heart of God, at the coming of Jesus Christ. So things become exceedingly clear. What was clear already that God loves the poor, He loves those who are in need, then Jesus comes and it becomes exceedingly and abundantly clear. Jesus is the perfect embodiment of God's compassion to those who are in need. And many different times in the New Testament, in the Gospels, Jesus strikes this note and He wants us to understand, I came as the servant. I came as the one who serves. This is exactly what He tells us. One example of this is Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Jesus says, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many, to give my life as a ransom for many. So when we think about the poor and the needy, when we think about those who are in need, the, the ultimate need of every human being is dead in their transgressions and sins. That's the ultimate need. Every other need reminds us that that's the real one. That's the ultimate one. And Jesus comes to remedy both. To remedy both. And so we see His great compassion towards those in need. The the blind, the beggars, the deaf, the lame. He heals them. He meets their needs. Why? So we would see this ultimate spiritual picture that He came to serve us. He came to serve us. He came to meet our true, ultimate, and eternal need. We're being reminded this morning from God's Word that Jesus came to be your deacon. Do you understand that? Jesus came to be your deacon. 
It's a mind-blowing thing because we would think, no, 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 He's the Holy One. Roll out the red carpet. Bow down every knee to the ground. Every tongue confess that He is Lord. And that's what He deserves. But He tells us, I did not come to be served. I came to serve you, is what Jesus says. This is the Gospel. This is the saving Gospel of Jesus Christ that He came to be our deacon. He came to serve us. And if Jesus didn't come to serve, if He didn't come to be our deacon, then not one of us in this room would know salvation. Not one of us. Jesus tells us this in John 13. He tells His disciples, He says, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part in Me. This principle of the Gospel is you must be served by Jesus Christ. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, we want this to be exceedingly clear to you. That the Word of God is not calling you to serve the Lord. Not first. You say, what is this guy talking about? The Word of God is not calling you to serve the Lord. Not first. You got blood on your hands. You are stained with the guilt of sin. You have fallen short of the glory of God. You are in the place of ultimate need outside of Jesus Christ. Dead in transgressions and sins. The book of Ezekiel pictures us as that baby who was cast aside to the wayside. We were those wallowing in our own blood. The helpless ones. The ones who could not save ourselves. That's you outside of the Lord Jesus, and you must allow Christ to serve you. This is what it means to be saved, to be served by Jesus Christ, to come to the Lord like a helpless infant child, and to allow Him to do it all. To do it all. Ron reminded us of that, that the Lord would help us to rest in the finished work of Jesus. Before you ever serve the Lord, Jesus has to serve you First, He is the great deacon. Came from the high and holy place to serve us, to save those who were dead in their transgressions and sins. And so we're seeing the reason behind this New Testament office is the compassion of God. God's compassion for those who are in need. We're seeing what's behind this office is the compassion of Jesus Christ. The disposition of Jesus Christ. The warm kindness of Jesus Christ. The tender mercy of Jesus Christ. That's what's at stake in this office. That's what's being embodied. That's what's being shown in this office of deacon. This office is to reflect the compassion of the Lord God. The compassion of Jesus Christ. It's to be a physical, visible picture of the love of God for for the needy. The mercy of God for the needy. And that means that the office of deacon, this is not a welfare office in the local church. This is a gospel office. It's gospel work that's being done. You say, what do you mean? It's a gospel ministry. It's a gospel office in the sense that the gospel deed ministry of the deacons undergirds the gospel word ministry of the elders. It adorns the gospel. If the gospel is the announcement of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for salvation, the deacon ministry, the deed ministry, shows us what Jesus is like. He loves those who are poor and needy. It's gospel jewelry. It's gospel adornment. 
It shows the character of Jesus Christ. And this church order letter, 1 Timothy, is reminding us that properly ordered churches have elders and deacons. They have a word ministry and a deed ministry. The church order is, uh, letter is reminding us that we, as the body of Christ, we can't allow either one of these things to go undone. Properly ordered churches have elders and deacons. They preach the Word and they care for the needy. Now, we see all that. And I hope one of the, one of the uh, reactions that we're having is, oh man, I didn't realize that's what they were doing If somebody's doing that, let's make sure that we're putting some qualified godly men to serve in that office. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is doing in 1 Timothy chapter 3. He begins to lay out the qualifications that are required for deacons in the Word of God. And so we'll roll through these quickly. We'll roll through these quickly. We read the text together and we come to that first word in verse 8. First word is dignified or honorable or respectable, depending on your translation. And just like Brett mentioned last week with the word blameless for elders, that first word is an umbrella word that everything else fits under this. These men must be respectable men. They must live an honorable life. Now, This corresponds back in Acts chapter 6, the requirements that the apostles gave. First thing they said is that these men have to be men of good repute. Exact same thing. They got to have a good reputation. They got to live a respectable life, an honorable life for the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he gives several negatives to describe this. Not double tongued. Deacons are not supposed to be double tongued, they're required not to be double-tongued. Now I want you to think about how important that requirement is for the minister of mercy. That the minister of mercy can't see two people in need, same exact situation, and say one thing to one person and another thing to another person. Do you see how important that this requirement is? That this man is not a double-talk man. He's not a double-speaker. He's to administer this mercy without partiality in the local church. He must not be double-tongued, nor can he be addicted to wine. This is just describing that honorable life that he has to live. He has to be known as an honorable man, not addicted to much wine. Verse 8. Now, verse 6, think about how these go together. Verse 6, I mean, uh, Acts 6. The second requirement in Acts 6 was that these men be full of the Holy Spirit. And then he comes to those requirements in 1 Timothy 3, and he says, not full of wine. Full of the Holy Spirit, not full of wine. That's the same language that the Bible uses in Ephesians chapter 5. Neither can he be greedy for dishonest gain. Now, out of all these, I hope this one makes sense to you more than any other. Okay? That if, if, if that's what these men are doing in Acts 6, is you got, you know, boatloads of uh, coins and, and, and money being brought to these men and they're distributing, they're distributing these things. Whoever's handling that stuff, the one thing you want to make sure that they're not is a guy that helps themselves, like Judas, from the purse that was meant to help the poor. 
They must not be greedy for dishonest gain. Deacons handle money. They always have. Deacons handle money. The nature of what they do, what deacons do, requires a great amount of trust and confidence from the local church. We want to appoint those to serve in this role that we are confident that they are stewarding these resources rightly. Rightly. And the sad reality is, is that some steal from the church of Jesus Christ. That's a sad reality. We were reminded of that reality just last week in our local news. We had in our city, just north, Madison, there was an administrator of a church He was rang up with 22 counts of embezzlement from a church in Madison. Several hundred thousand dollars. Not that was stewarded to meet the needy, but that he stole from the people of God. This is a reality in the world that we live in. And these requirements are given to guard the gospel. Because what happens when that stuff happens? When that nonsense happens in the church and in the city, what happens? The gospel is damaged. The Christian reputation is damaged in that city. Y'all are a bunch of hypocrites. Y'all don't even mean this stuff. That's why God requires godly qualified men to serve in this way. And then we come to this second category. Not only an honorable life, we're we're told that these men must be sound in doctrine. Beginning in verse 9, we have that phrase that they must hold to the mystery of the faith with, with a good conscience. Let's hold to the mystery of the faith with a good conscience. Deacons, they have to understand Christianity, the gospel. They have to believe it. They have to love it. And they have to live it. They got to know the word. They got to know the word of God. And so when we distinguish the ministry of the deacons and the ministry of the elders, We need to be really careful that though the ministry of the elders is a narrow word ministry, it doesn't mean that the deacons don't have qualifications that relate to the Word of God. This is it right here. they got to be men of the Word. they got to hold to the mystery of the faith. they got to know the Gospel. And you're sitting there thinking, but why? But why? Because the Bible's reminding us these men are not secular social workers. That's not what they're doing. They're not writing checks and saying, call me later if you need anything. They're doing mercy ministry, listen, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. They're meeting needs in His name. In His name. They're not just writing checks, though they write a lot of checks. They're not just writing checks. They're encouraging the needy with the gospel. They are called into very needy situations as ministers of mercy to remind their brothers and sisters in need that God will never leave you. God will never forsake you. That all the promises are still yours in Christ. God has not abandoned you. They're gospel men. They're gospel men. They must hold to the mystery of the faith with a clean conscience. they got to know the Word. They give godly counsel. In these needy situations, they give godly counsel. And by the way, the goal of the deacon ministry is not this. Let's get a bunch of money in the deacon fund and let's see how fast we can get rid of it. That's not the goal. 
These men have to, have to exercise discernment, wisdom from God. They get this from the Word of God. As they pray through and think through and labor how to glorify Jesus Christ with these resources. Got to have sound doctrine. A deacon also uh, has to have a well-managed family. This is part of the qualifications. A well-managed family. He must be the husband of one wife. And Brett did a good job of laying this out last week, that this literally is rendered. He must be a one-woman man. A one-woman man. I mean, he must be faithful to his wife. Of course it only means he has one wife. Okay? But it means more than that. It's He has one woman in his life. It's faithfulness to his bride. He has no other women in his life, whether that be a physical attachment, an emotional attachment, or a mental attachment. No other women in his life. He's a one-woman man. That means his heart is locked up like Fort Knox for his wife, for his bride. He's a one-woman man. There are no other women in his life. And not only in his marriage, verse 12 reminds us that this man must be a good father. Deacons have to manage their children. Does the man love his children? Does he lead his children? Does he faithfully discipline his children? Does he train them? Does he teach them? Is he a good father? This is a requirement for the office. And then in verse 11, we see that Scripture actually places qualifications on deacons' wives. Scripture says, verse 11 says, the wife is to live a respectable life also. You're supposed to be able to look into her life and she live an honorable, respectable, uh, godly life as well as her husband. And note specifically the qualification given to the wife not to be a slanderer. Not to be a slanderer. And I want you to think about why. You know, why is this man's family being pulled in to this office? One of the things Brett mentioned to us last week is that shepherds ought to smell like sheep, right? Some of you love that phrase. Part of a pastor's role is to be around the people of God. That's what he smells like. That's what he does. Well, just a little play on that wording. If, if shepherds are to smell like sheep, then deacons are to smell like the poor and the needy. They're to be gravitating towards those in need. They're, they're to be zealous to find needy situations in the body of Christ. And guess what? As they do that, their families are going to come in constant contact with people who are in need. Situations that aren't real pretty always. You understand? And Scripture requires that in the midst of those situations, gossiping, slandering about these hard situations or maybe embarrassing situations in the local church, there's no place for it. It can't be a slanderer and part of the mercy ministry of the church. What these men do, vast majority of what these officers do, Grace Community Church is in secret. They're administering mercy in secret in the name of Jesus Christ. They're not blasting the trumpet and say, hey, by the way, so-and-so lost a job. want to make sure everybody knows about it. That's not what they're doing. It's not what they're doing. I'll quickly mention this, and I'll blow through this quick. Many Bible interpreters, okay? 
Faithful Bible interpreters. Take the Greek word behind wives in verse 11. That Greek word can mean women or wife, same Greek word. And they take that to mean that women in general can be appointed to this role as deacons. So one view is that the wives are, are who are being addressed, and that's who, what the ESV translators have shown us. Other faithful men see that this is actually opening the door for women to serve in this office of deacon. And there's actually a third view that see the women that are addressed here as a general reference to women that serve as deacon assistants, not necessarily office of deacon. So these are the three views that faithful, well-meaning, gospel-loving, word-loving brothers come to different places on these views. And to be honest, I can see the argument going in any way. Okay? I don't have a firm, like, man, it has to mean this, because honestly, when I look at the evidence, I can see it going either way. Okay? Either way. So I will make two general comments about women and the deacon ministry of the church. And the first is this. If the Bible teaches that women can serve in the office, we must remember that this office is not leadership. It is not an office of teaching and ruling. That's the office of elders that Paul told us just a few weeks ago that he forbids women from taking up the office of elder in the local church. So if the, if the office is open to women, we have to clarify that deacons are not elders. And here's why that's so important. Because in many churches, deacons are functioning as de facto elders in those churches. And if in those churches, the office of deacon is open to women, then you have women serving as de facto elders in the local church, which the Word of God forbids, and it actually goes farther than that and calls it shameful. Shameful. So we need to clear, carefully define and distinguish these two offices. The second comment is this. No matter which of those views that you take, the text assumes that women will be closely involved with the work that deacons do. Otherwise, it would have never been mentioned. Whether it's the deacons' wives that are in view or other women who are assisting these deacons in their work, there's no doubt about it. The New Testament assumes that women will be closely involved in the mercy ministry of the church, whether they're official deacons or assisting those who are doing that work. Verse 10, got a lot to cover. Verse 10, they must be tested first. They must be tested first. That means that we evaluate the patterns of, of, of these men's lives, their character, the way that they live. Now that word test, it doesn't mean that we you know, just take an otherwise stranger um, and set him up in the middle of the room and, and give him a one-hour public trial. That's not the testing that's in view. The testing that's in view is really knowing this man's life, knowing how he lives, knowing his character, getting input from, from those who can vouch for, evaluate his character. He must be tested, then let him serve as deacon. And then finally, I'll mention this in verse 13. It mentions a good standing that those who serve as deacons, that they gain for themselves. And here's what I want to mention, okay? Here's a wrong way to think about the office of deacon. That I'll, that I'll serve in the office of deacon for five to ten years, and that's kind of the JV thing. 
and then after five or ten years, I'll graduate past the office of deacon, then I'll serve in the office of elder. That is the wrong way to think about this office as a stepping stone to the office of elder. That's not the way that it's presented to us in the New Testament. So what verse 13 beautifully reminds us of is that the office of deacon is honorable in and of itself. It's an honorable way to spend 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years of your Christian life faithfully serving as a deacon in the church of Jesus Christ, gaining a good standing before the body of Christ. All right, I want to mention some practical exhortations for us to take away from uh, this teaching this morning. And the first is this. I'll never forget in my own life when I started to make some of these connections, when the Lord started showing me some of these connections, that deacons are mercy ministers. They're ministers of mercy. The office became more beautiful to me. It became more honorable to me. I was more zealous than I ever had been in my life. We need deacons. Let them serve well. Let them go after it in the name of the Lord. And I want to exhort us this morning to be thankful for what God has done, how kind God has been to us, and to give us this office. He's commanded us to care for the poor, but He's been so kind to us to give us this office this extra additional layer that no one would be neglected. And we ought to be thankful for that. For ministers of mercy. We ought to count it a beautiful thing in the Word of God. A beautiful thing in the church of Jesus Christ. Second, I want to exhort us to be thankful for the deacons that God has already given to us as a local church. I want you to be thankful for these men. So we currently have two deacons... Four years now, these brothers have been serving in this office at Grace Community Church. Hunter Ainsworth and our brother Aaron Poole. God has provided us with these brothers to serve us for four years now. And I want to encourage you to be thankful for them. I want you to encourage, to encourage you to be thankful and to think about them. These are the ministers of mercy that the Holy Spirit has set these brothers aside to this work. They're officers in the church. They're officers in the church. And I want to encourage you to pray for them. I want to encourage you to pray for them. In the same way that I would encourage you to pray for your pastors in the ministry of the Word. That I hope you're praying for your pastors. I hope you're asking, fill them with the Holy Spirit and help them to teach the Word of God with power, with tenderness, with love. Make it effective, Lord. I hope you're praying for us. And in the same way, I would encourage you to pray not only for the ministers of Word at Grace Community Church, but for the ministers of mercy at Grace Community Church. That you would pray that God would put His hand on our brothers. That, he, that we would be reminded, Acts 6, that they would be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is a supernatural office that they're a part of. That they would be filled with the Holy Spirit to administer the great compassion of Jesus Christ. That they would faithfully represent the great compassion of Jesus Christ. That God would use them mightily as ministers of mercy. Number three, I want to encourage you to ask God for more deacons at Grace Community Church. Make this something that you pray for. And your time with the Lord, that you ask God to raise up such men 
that love mercy. That love mercy. Men that have a zeal to show the compassion of Jesus. That God would raise up and qualify such men to serve as ministers of mercy in Grace Community Church. In the next few weeks, we're going to be entering into a process as a local church where we're going to be adding to our deacons at Grace Community Church. That's coming at you in the next several weeks, and we'll do that in a members-only meeting coming up. But in the meantime, you can be asking the Lord, Lord, do it. Set apart these men. And you can be examining the body of Christ. We're going to be looking to you, just like they did in Acts 6. We're going to be looking to you as the congregation of the Lord Jesus to recommend godly men for this role. Those who love mercy. Those who are qualified according to, to 1 Timothy 3. Would you pray for that? Would you pray for that? More deacons at Grace Community Church. The next one is super practical, okay? And I mean super practical. As you are made aware of needs at Grace Community Church, and this question is, and, and this exhortation is getting at how can we do this better? How can I participate more than I am in the deacon ministry of Grace Community Church? And just a super practical exhortation would be as you are made aware of needs in our church that you would bring those needs to the deacons. And it's just as simple as this. They may not know about it unless you tell them. And we really want to take this serious, that there would be no needy among us at Grace Community Church. We want to show the compassion of Jesus Christ to one another. One suffers, we want to all suffer together. We want to be members that have the same care for one another. 1 Corinthians 12. So if you're made aware of needs... Bring it to the deacons. Make sure they know about it. Now I want to mention a couple of things here. Right? Scripture actually gives us some, some uh, parameters that not every need that we come across as Christians is automatically a deacon need. And we see, we'll see this actually really clearly as we make our way into 1 Timothy chapter 5 that the responsibilities first fall on the household, on the Christians of the household to meet the needs that you're able to meet and your own household. And so I'll say this. I'll say just a couple more things. If you come across needs in the body of Christ, and you're able to meet them yourself, do it. Do it. If you're, if you're able and moved with compassion to meet needs in the body of Christ, then do that. And if it's something that you can't handle on your own, then bring it to the deacons. Bring it, bring it to the deacons. These brothers are repetitively, for years, hearing about things, digging into things. Check on so-and-so. This might have happened. This, this might, they might be in, in some trouble here. So bring it to deacons. Bring it to the deacons. And I'll mention one other thing. If you come across needs in the body of Christ, and it's something that you can't handle, and you want to put some... Uh, coordinate some efforts to help some people in the body of Christ. I would just encourage you, don't short-circuit the deacons in that process. Let these men that Jesus has placed in this office, with these qualifications, with these giftings, those men who have given themselves to this for years now, let them play a part in that process. That the corporate response is done with the deacons involved. With the deacons involved. Make sure they know about the needs in the body of Christ. And so that's one way that you can better help this deacon ministry 
at Grace Community Church. And then here's the other, okay? Here's the other. You can give generously to this church. You can give generously to this church. Most, most of you uh, may not have heard some of this unpacked, and so I'll mention it really quick. Over the past four years, we have allotted between 5 and 10%, it goes up and down a little bit each year, of every dollar that's given at Grace Community Church is allotted to a deacon fund automatically. And these men steward that fund and make sure that that money is meeting needs in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. And I want to just I, w- I want to make sure we all know, just in broad strokes, not mentioning names, not mentioning you know specific amounts, we're talking thousands of dollars given to the needy, real needs in the name of Jesus. And we're t- what, what kind of stuff are, are we talking about here? We're talking about those inside our church and those outside our church. We're talking about legal fees that, that the oppressed are in a, a legal situation, the poor are in a legal situation, and they cannot defend themselves. Our deacons have provided legal fees for those who are in need. They provided adoption costs for families who are in need. They supported widows for those who are in need. They have financially helped those who have lost their jobs. Deacons show up. You, you're, you know, many of you are thinking like, yeah, that happened to me. I don't even know how they knew about it. That happened to me. They, the church helped those who lost their jobs. They provided medicine for the sick, physical rehab costs for the needy, those who couldn't pay their medical bills. They provided emergency travel for people who were immigrants here that couldn't get where they needed to get uh, when they needed to get there quickly. And they've done this mostly, if not all of it, behind the scenes. They didn't blow a trumpet before they did any one of those things. Some of you might be thinking, I had no idea that that was going on. Thousands of dollars at Grace Community Church. Why? Because they're not blowing a trumpet before they do it. They're showing the compassion of Jesus Christ in secret. In secret. Mercy ministry behind the scenes. And here's the thing. We want to do this more. You know, woe to us when we think we've arrived. You know, we've arrived at our care for the poor and the needy. No, no. We want to do this more and more. And in order to do that, we need two things. We need more deacons who love mercy who love mercy, who love and live to show the compassion of Jesus Christ. And we need more saints to give generously to expand that ministry. We want to do so more and more. We want to be more faithful, more generous, more charitable to care for the needy. I'll remind us this just really quickly as we close, that the gospel is what drives mercy ministry. The gospel is what fuels it. And you say, what do you mean? This is it. How, how does a people like us, how is our love for money and our desire to live for ourselves, how is that severed that we would now deny ourselves and serve others and use our money to meet their needs? What produces that? And I want to remind us that only the gospel produces that. Only the gospel breaks our love for money and our love for ourselves. Only the gospel produces a generous people. Gospel fuels mercy ministry. Gospel fuels it. And and you could even say it like this, that Grace Community Church, we're only going to deacon other people 
as we perpetually remember that Jesus deaconed us. We're the ones that have been deaconed. That's why we respond with service to those who are poor and needy. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you, by His poverty, might become rich. Jesus has loved us. Jesus has given everything for us, and He's given to us freely. He left a high and holy place, a perfect heaven, and He came to this sin-soaked world to us. Those who were dead in their transgressions and sins. The ultimate poor, the ultimate needy. And He gave Himself for us. He's shown us great mercy. And we get, and this is exactly what it is, we get the privilege of bending that mercy out and showing the compassion of Jesus Christ to those who are in need. And we want to do it with faithfulness as a local church. Let's pray together. Lord, we love You. And we pray, God, that You would cause Your Word to bear fruit in our life. Lord, we thank You for that glimpse that You gave us in Your Word this morning about Your heart for those who are in need. And I pray for my brothers and sisters all across the room, Lord, that You would deal with us, that You would grow us in this area of being moved with compassion. Lord Jesus, we want to be like You. And we ask You to help us. In Jesus' name, Amen.